Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. We exist to help people grow in Christ, share the gospel, and serve the community. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message. I invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, and we'll look at the first nine verses. We'll look at the first nine verses. So let's read together Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. This is what it says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so here's what I want you to notice in the first three verses is what I want you to notice. God gives him a threefold command. I don't want to confuse you. I want you to have understanding. God gives him a threefold command. Go from your land, from your relatives, and from your father's house. That's a tall order, right? That's a tall order. But then he adds in a sevenfold blessing. A sevenfold blessing. The command is threefold, but the blessing is sevenfold. And God gives him these seven promises if that is contingent upon these three things of him leaving his land, his relatives, and his father's house. And so here's what it says in verse 4. This is Abram's response to the threefold command and the sevenfold blessing. Here's what it says. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now Lot is his nephew. I want you to remember what the threefold command was, to leave your land. Who else? Why is his, why is his nephew with him? Abram was 75 years old, 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. That's the land of promise, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is where they headed. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So God told them to go to a land. The problem is there are people already there. Like when God tells you to move to Atlanta, there are people already there. <laughs> the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. That's so important. To your offspring, to your descendant, to your Specific descendant to your offspring, I will give this land. So here's what he did. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there. And he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram journeyed by stages to the Negev. Let's pray. Father, we Thank you today for this glorious Sunday, God. I thank you for all of the saints that have gathered with us on today. My prayer is that your son Jesus would be made known today. I pray as we study your word today that we will have clarity, God, clarity of who you are 
and what you've called us to do and, and, and who we are in relation to you, Lord. And so, Father, I pray that they can filter out what's unnecessary, God, that they can chew up the meat and spit out the bones. But, Lord, I pray that you would just use me as a vessel. This sermon is about you. And so, Father, I pray that your people would have clarity. I pray that your people would have conviction, but I pray that this would also give them courage. And so, Father, I pray today that, that if there's a person here who's not a Christian, God, I'm, I'm glad they're here. I pray today that they would, they would hear about your goodness and hear about the good news about what you've done for us. And I pray that they would respond today. I pray that the, the miracle of new life and new birth would take place today. And I pray for those who are already in the faith that we would grow in an exponential way today. I pray that we would mature in the faith through the studying of your word. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless our time together and that you would meet us here. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. We're still in the sermon series, Faithful, but I have a sermon title today, F-O-B-O. F-O-B-O is my sermon title today. F-O-B-O is my sermon title today. I was recently doing some reading, and, and I discovered this new terminology, but I was not familiar with it. I was familiar with a different terminology that you may know of called FOMO. You know what FOMO is. Our generation suffers from chronic FOMO, right? We suffer from it, fear of missing out. I'll be honest with you. I'm like one of those older millennials. I'm in my 40s. The oldest millennials are 41 years old. Um, I kind of relate to the generation before a little better. I was raised a little more old school. Um, I'm slow to technology. I'm slow to make changes. I'm stuck in my ways. I'm stubborn. I'm old, and I yell at people on my front lawn. And so, so with my generation, I don't really suffer from FOMO. I've never really suffered from FOMO. My generation actually believes in, in, in LOMO. We love the love of missing out. Oh, I love to miss some stuff. I love not to be there. And so I never feel this pressure to be where everybody else is. I love missing out. I love not being invited. That's okay with me, but I understand that, that there's a, a portion of the millennial generation who has this anxiety, this fear on missing out. But, but what if everybody else is there? What if everybody else moves there? What if everybody else goes there? What if everybody else is, is doing it? If, if everybody else is getting that, that, that second degree, I, I got to get that second degree as well because I don't want to miss out. It is a real thing, but I also learned that there is a new terminology, which is FOBO. This one, I believe, is probably even more pertinent to our generation than FOMO. This FOBO means fear of better options. Fear of better options. If there is one issue that our generation has, it's commitment issues. We are afraid of commitment like children are afraid of the boogeyman. We, we fear commitment. This idea of fear of better options has the premise that if I make a decision for one thing, something else better may come along that I want to participate in. And I will regret the decision that I made. I will get a sort of buyer's remorse in the decision that I made. So I, I have this fear of better 
option. Some people stay in relationships a long time. Some people stay in relationships a long time because they have commitment issues. They have FOBO. There's this fear that, that there are better options out there, are better options out there may come along. People will be engaged for nine years. Nine years because of FOBO, because of fear of better options. Let me say this. Let me just give you a little pastoral wisdom. Please don't leave. God, I should have did the offering first. Please don't leave. Please, if you've been engaged for nine years, uh, let me just give you some wisdom. Uh, that is a decision. That, that's already a, that's a commitment not to move along. And so if you've been waiting for nine years, let me just free you. You can go on and do something else. Uh, there are better options out there. You are right. You are right. There are better options out there. However, there are sometimes when fear of better options, when FOMO is to our detriment. It is to our detriment because we can't commit to anything. But let me tell you this. When you commit to something, that is where the growth happens. When you commit to something, that is where the maturity happens. We, we don't have enough stick to in our generation. We need to learn to stick to some stuff, see some stuff through. You get on the job the first day and you're ready to quit already. Oh, my God, I can't wait to get this new job. And you get there and you realize that the problem with the, the new job is that you're still you're there. It wasn't the old job. It, maybe it was, it was, it was you. And so we, we, we have to commit. There are times when there, there are better options and you are free to choose better options. Sometimes things run their course. But I'm here to say that if you've never stuck it out two years, you've never stuck something out three years, you've never stuck, stuck something out four years or five years, you have FOBO. We, we, we have to learn to stick some stuff out to see it through, to make a decision and stick with it. And let me tell you something. Yeah, yeah, there may be better options, but let me tell you today for the, for the purposes of our sermon. Let me say this to you. If you're trying to decide whether you should follow Jesus or not, there are no better options. He is the best option. You have nothing to, to fear. He is worth your commitment. He is worth your faithfulness. He is worth your stick Intuitiveness. And let me say this today. If you are not a believer and you're here, I'm so glad that you are here. Let me tell you today. Let me tell you this today. If you are struggling to decide whether you want to follow Jesus with your whole heart and surrender your life to him, let me tell you something. He is worth it. When you make a commitment to him, he will radically change your life more than anything that you could ever imagine. He will change your life. And this is what happens in the story of Abram. This one man had one decision to make. One nation would come from this one man. This one man makes one radical decision, and a nation is birthed from this man. He will change the course of history. But before God can use this man, this man must make a decision, and he must commit to the Lord. But I want to show you three things that happens in the text today. We're going to look at three things that happens in the text today. Number one, we'll see a radical call. Number two, we'll see revolutionary promises. And thirdly, we'll see real faith. First thing we'll see is a radical call, a radical call, a crazy call that God calls Abram to. 
Secondly, secondly, we'll see revolutionary promises. These promises are, are just insane. They're, they're, they're insane, unbelievable promises. They, they are revolutionary. But thirdly and most importantly, none of that matters if there isn't real faith. So those are the three, three things that we will look at today. And the first thing that we see in the text in the first verse is that God calls Abram to something absolutely crazy. He tells him to leave his land, his relatives, and his father's house. He says, go from this place. Go from everything that is familiar to you. Go go from everything that, that you've grown accustomed to. I want you to leave your source of provision. I, I want you to leave your extended families. I want you to leave your cousins and them. I, I want you to leave your, your mama and them. I want you to leave everything that you know, all of your sources of support and comfort. I need you to go and leave it behind. I also want you to leave your father's house. You hear that and we think, oh, a father's house, that means just like, that's kind of like when I went off and went to college. That, that's kind of like when I, when I left and I, I went this place or I went that place. So, so he's just asking him to do something that ties into the other stuff. Let me tell you something. Back in those days, the father's house, your, 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 your immediate, most smallest unit gave you everything about yourself. You derived your complete identity from your father's house. Everything that, that, that encompassed who you were was found in your father's house. People knew you by your father's house. And so, so this was everything that defined who Abram was. God is telling him to leave everything that defines you. I, don't, I, I understand you have a tie to it. I understand you're connected to it. I understand that, that, that it, it has become part of who you are. You breathe it. You talk it. You think it. You live it. You, you do all of those things. But I need you to leave this. I need you to leave the thing that identifies you, that you identify yourself by. I'm, I come from this. I'm, I'm a part of this. And he says, go from your father's house. Leave your security, your comfort, and your identity. God is telling him to leave everything that he is familiar with to go to a place that he knows nothing about. That's a radical call. That is an absolutely radical call. This, this is hard. He's telling him to separate himself from everything you knew after the fact that he's 75 years old. Which goes, goes to say that doesn't matter what age you are, God can call you at any age. God can call you no matter how old you are. Some people are old. Like it's, it's a wrap for me. It's a wrap for me. God calls this 75-year-old. Oh, man, it's, when I read this, this is not uncommon to the call for us to follow Jesus. Did you notice in, in, in the Gospels, whenever Jesus comes to a person, he says, leave everything and follow me. Le- leave everything and follow me. He comes to the disciples and tells them, Le- leave, leave your business, your fishing business, and I will make you fishers of men. He tells people to come, come along, leave everything, go sell all of your possessions and come and follow me. And we don't always see people make the decision to follow him. But the people that do, God radically changes their lives. And what God does with their lives is far more glorious than what they do on their own. This is what is presented before them today. And so we, we come to Christ. It is an abandonment of everything that we knew before. It is an abandonment of everything that gave us our identity. Jesus says, those who love a father or mother more than me is not worthy of following me. 
Those who love sons and daughters more than me are not worthy of following me. What he's saying is that, yeah, 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 you can love your family, but the love that you have for, for them should pale in comparison to the love you have for me. He says that, that if you're going to follow me, pick, pick up your cross and come and follow me. And we see this. And we see this. We see God coming to Abraham and commanding him to follow. I want, I, want to, I want you to notice something here about this call. God initiates this call. Abram is not looking for God. God comes for Abram. Abram is not looking for God. He, he comes to him. Abram didn't wake up one day and say, you know what? I, I, need, I need to find God. You know we live in a time where people say, oh, I found God like God was hiding, like he was missing, like there was a wanted post for God, right? On a God was Jesus on a milk card, and he's like, lost Jesus. But, but no, in, in our salvation, we don't go looking for God. God, God comes and gets us. He comes and gets us. He initiates our salvation. We don't initiate anything. There's nothing about you and I that says, you know what? I think I need God. God comes into our lives. He initiates our salvation. This, this is not anything that we can do because if we did, we take credit for it. But we can't take credit for our salvation because our salvation is a gift. I want you to notice that God came to him first and he told him to go. Now, I know you're thinking, what kind of cruel God would tell somebody to leave everything? How cruel do you have to be to tell people to leave? Who, who tells somebody to leave everything? Someone who loves them. Because Abram, like you and I, has a, con have a, has a context. He's not just some random person that just comes out of the ground and comes from nowhere. He has a story. He has a story. He has a family. He has a story. If, if we look just a few verses prior, if you have a Bible, I'm not going to go on screen, but real quick, chapter 11, look at the last two or three verses of chapter 11. It tells uh, Abram's origin story. It tells where he comes from, and it says that his father is a man named Terah. He says to Rod, who took his son Abram, and they set out from the year of Chaldeans. From the year of Chaldeans. You might say, that, that means nothing to me, Pastor. I've never been there before. They're from there. And it is a pagan land. It's modern-day Iraq. This is a pagan land that Abram comes from. They are moon worshipers in the year of Chaldeans. They are pagan moon worshippers. Matter of fact, his father's name, Terah, means moon. They are moon worshippers. They are the people that go out there talking about worshipping the universe. God calls him out. He's surrounded by unsaved people. He's not surrounded by godly people, so this call is easy for him. My grandmother was a Christian. My great-grandmother was a Christian. My mom's a Christian. My dad's a Christian. My sister's a Christian. My brother's a Christian. No, he calls somebody who does not come from a Christian family. He calls somebody who is surrounded by unsaved people. He is surrounded by pagans, but God in his grace, in his mercy, calls him out, and he calls him from a pagan land and promises him a promised land. 
That's beautiful. God calls him from pagan land to promised land. That is a beautiful thing that we see in the text. And so this is not a call to make him suffer. This is a call to save his life. When God called you and I, it wasn't a call to make us suffer. It was a call to save our lives. Your salvation saved your life. Maybe you came from a Christian family, but even in that, just because your mother was saved does not mean that you are saved. You know how people I meet, well, my grandma went to church, so I guess I'm going to heaven. What? <laughs> that means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. Thank God that you come from a Christian family. That, that I'm sure that, that makes it easier. Thank God you come, you're surrounded by Christians. That makes it easier. But he didn't call them in that context. He calls them out of a pagan land. Let me tell you this. Oftentimes people read in this text, and, oh, God is taking me to a promised land. Oh, God is telling me to leave the city and leave this place and go and leave a job and go here or go here. Before this is a somatic call, this is a spiritual call, somatic physical. Before this is a somatic call, this is a spiritual call. Before God calls you to some random place on the map, he calls you out of sin. This is a spiritual call more than anything. Yes, it, it, it fleshes itself out in something physical for Abram, but first and foremost, this is a spiritual call. And so let me say this, maybe for you today, you're grappling with a decision that you think is critical to your future, and you aren't certain what you should do. You aren't 100% certain what you should do. Should I go? Should I stay? Should, should we break up? <laughs> or should we stay together? Should I take the job? Or should I stay where I am? The answer to these questions are not easy, especially when you're choosing between good options. But the answer to these questions are secondary to deciding to surrender to God first. The one decision you can be certain about today with no remorse, no phobo, is a decision to surrender, to surrender to God if he's calling you. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. Who you marry is secondary to following Jesus. Where you take a job, secondary to following Jesus. Should I get an extra, extra master's degree? We have 100,000 degrees in this church. I appreciate it, though. I love it. Second, that's secondary. The most important decision you can make is will you follow Jesus? For some of us, if you're here today and you are a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, you've been walking with him a long time, you say, oh, I'm already following him, so this doesn't pertain to me. No, this is a call for you to trust him in certain areas that you struggle to trust him in. We all know what those areas are. This is a call for you to surrender even more of that part of your life to him. Somebody in the room today is not a follower of Jesus. I love you. But today God presents an opportunity, an invitation for you to have what, what, what's truly life. You can make a decision today to follow him. If you're here, he's calling you. If you're here and you're not a Christian, he's calling you. He loves you enough to get you here. For you to hear what he has to say to you. 
And just like Abram, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian family. Maybe you grew up Catholic. Maybe you grew up a Muslim. Maybe you grew up Buddhist. Maybe you grew up agnostic. Maybe you grew up and you are a universalist. Maybe you grew up and you, you don't even care. But, but whatever the case is today, he gives you an invitation today to make a decision to put your life in his hands. Some of us who are already in the faith, we're wondering, man, I've been to save a long time, but I'm sure not maturing. I'm sure not growing that much. I'm still living the same life I was living, two, three, four, five. I've never changed at all, actually. God presents us with a decision, but then we have to obey him. This is how you grow. I love the way author Oswald Chambers writes it. Here's what he says. He says, spiritual maturity is not reached by the passing of the years, but by obedience to the will of God. You don't get older into maturity. You obey your way into maturity. That is why you can have somebody 30 years old far more mature than somebody that's 50. You can have somebody 25 years old that's far more mature than somebody that's 62. Because, Because maturity is not about age. Maturity is about following and obeying the will of God. That's for those of us who are walking with Jesus. But for others, God is calling you today to trust him for the first time. And whatever you feel like you're deciding between, maybe you feel like there is something that's comparable to God, let me set you free. It is not. Nothing is comparable to him. He is absolutely everything. He, he, he is everything. There's, let me assure you today, there is nothing that you can compare to Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Today, this is more than a call for you to trust God for a new relationship or a new city. It's a call for you to trust him with your soul. Because here's the thing. As much as Abram was close to his family, his father's house, his relatives, as much as he was familiar with the land of Ur of the Chaldeans, none of those things could save him. Comfort can't save you. Familiarity can't save you. Your mother can't save you. Your father can't save you. Your, your, your family can't. I don't care how much money you guys had, that can't save you. Your job can't save you. Your fourth degree can't save you. Shout out to your fourth degree. I'm working on one myself. Praise the Lord. But it's not salvific. It can aid in your development as a person, but it can't save you. Cannot save you. And God is presenting Abram with the opportunity for a new identity and a new life in him. God pulls us out of sin. He pulls us out of darkness and into his light. Colossians says it like this. He rescues us from the domain of darkness and brings us into his marvelous light. This is what God is offering us today. Let me say this to you. God doesn't want to ruin your life. God wants to bless your life. If that's one theme of the sermon, that's it. God doesn't want to ruin your life. God wants to bless your life. Let me pause and say this. Oftentimes, I'm going to preach about the Ten Commandments at some point this year, but oftentimes God, we look at God's commands as something that is hindering us from fulfilling our lives. As if you want better for yourself than God does. You didn't create you. He created you. So how, let me explain this to me. Let, do the math. How do you want better for you than the person who created you? 
So when a child wants candy, what are they going to say? They want candy for breakfast. Mama, I know what's better for me. I know this candy is going to fulfill me. Mother says, no, that's going to hurt your stomach. You're going to have all kind of dental bills when you turn 25. This is going to wreck your life. And if we sat back and watched the parent let their child eat candy for breakfast, we would think they were crazy. But when they don't, we say that parent loves their child. But when we ask God for candy and he doesn't give it to us, oh, he's trying to ruin my life. God loves you enough to not give you what will kill you. And, and if you're struggling today, well, well, what if I leave behind? I'm so comfortable in this relationship. I'm so comfortable with, with, with not having a relationship with God. I'm, I'm so comfortable with doing things my own way, my own agenda. I love the way Nancy Lay DeMoss says it. She, she says it so beautifully. You will never be more secure. You will never be more safe. And you will never be happier more satisfied than when you are trusting and obeying, resting in sovereignty and surrendering to sovereignty. God is calling you to safety this morning. God is offering offering us something far more radically satisfying than what we can offer ourselves. What is that? God is offering us himself. What we miss in the Christian life is that things are not the prize. God is the prize. He keeps reiterating to Israel throughout the Old Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's God's love language. God is saying, you're my person and I'm your person. And this is what he offers us. He invites us into his family to give us a far greater purpose. He invites us into his story. He calls us to play a part in changing the world. And so we see these commands to leave. Abram's not saved. And so the command, even the command in itself is a blessing. This is God's grace to call Abram. He could have left him in pagan land. God didn't have to call you and me. He could have left us unsaved. He could have left us in the world, but he calls us out. That's God's grace to us. Even God's commands are God's grace. So we talked about the radical call. Here are the revolutionary promises. This this is insane. Here's what he says to him. Seven promises. I will make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt. You don't have to curse them out yourself. That's wonderful. (laughs) And all the people on earth will be blessed. All the peoples, meaning people groups, will be blessed through you. This is a threefold command, but a sevenfold blessing. And I'm going to run through them real, real quick. I will make you a great nation. If you've ever wondered what is Israel's origin, what is the origin of the Jewish people? We find it right here in Genesis 12. This is where they come from. And let me tell you this at the outset. They were never intended first to be an ethnic people. They were first a religious group. And so this is, their, this is their origin. They find their origin in Abraham. Do you know that three major world religions call Abraham their father? Christians, Jews, and um, Muslims call Abraham the father of the faith, but only one gets it completely right. And he says, I'll make you into a great nation There's nothing about Abram that deserves this. 
He will make a great nation. He decides to give this, start his nation with this one man that will then bless the rest of the nations. But he had to start somewhere. He starts with Abram. He says, I will bless you, meaning the, 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 the tangible favor of God will be on you. I've already blessed you by calling you, but I've set my affections on you. You will have all the resources that you need. You have all the resources that you need. Now, let me say this real quick. He's going to have all the resources. If you read later on in Genesis, Abram turns and becomes Abraham. He's really rich. He's got a lot. He's got a lot of stuff. But don't let that fool you that that means that we're supposed to be rich. He gives him all of those resources because he's starting a nation. They need money and they need resources. He's not giving this to him so he can floss. Sorry, that's too urban. He's not giving them this so that he can show off. This is so that he can do what God called him to do. God never gives you favor and resources for yourself. God always gives you favor and resources to leverage it for somebody else. He says, I will make your name great. Now, if you know anything about Genesis, oh, this is so, this is so good. If you know anything about Genesis, if you just turn one chapter prior in chapter 11, a couple things are happening. Chapter 10, you see the table of nations. Remember the whole flood thing? with Noah, and they were just so wicked, uh, and, and then God says, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm tired of this. So he starts over with Noah, right? Noah finds favor with God. Noah comes out of the flood, right? Things are happening, and the same commands that he gives to, gives to Adam in Genesis chapter 1, he gives the same commands to Noah in Genesis chapter 9. Noah is like a second Adam, right? And so then we get to chapter 10, and we see what's called the table of nations. It's probably in your Bible, it says table of nations. Then you get to chapter 11, there's a tower of Babel, where there's, there's all the people, and they all speak the same language. There's one people group, and then they're like, you know what? <laughs> Let's build our own city and our own tower. That sounds kind of like, uh, that sounds real good and nice, but no, it's kind of evil. So God says, let us come down. Let's come down because God always has to come down to deal with us. You're not on God's level, right? God always has to come down, right? God comes down, says, let's confuse their language, and yes, let's, let's scatter them all over the place. He scatters them all over the place. Let's start a new nation that will bless these nations. That's the context in Genesis chapter 12. Everything before it, Genesis 1 through 11, is about Genesis chapter 12. Everything from Genesis chapter 12 through the rest of your Bible is to fulfill what happens in Genesis chapter 12. I just gave you biblical theology 101. You don't even have to take that course in seminary now. But, he's, but they say we want to build this tower to make our name great. And he says, oh, you want to make your name great? Let me scatter you because that's evil. But he tells him, I will make your name great. You don't want to make your name great. You don't want to make your name famous because if you make your name famous, you will become infamous. You want God to make your name great. I'm, I'm so sick of seeing people in our generation. Okay, this is old man soapbox. Give me, give me, spare me a minute. I'm so sick of people trying to make their own name great. I'm so tired of it. We, we, we have to figure out, do, do you want the call or do you want a crowd? What, what do you want? Do, do you want faithfulness or followers? Superficial foolishness or faithfulness in the face of adversity? F faithfulness is underrated in our generation. F faithfulness is underrated. We have to stop skipping steps. 
Stop skipping steps. Go through the process that God has taken you through. Don't skip steps. Go through the process. Don't work too hard trying to make a name for yourself. Live into the name that God has already given you. Do you know that we are made in his image? That we already bear his name? You have nothing to prove to the people that follow you. Let me take this down. I didn't get enough likes. Oh, man, nobody liked this one. Let me take this down because I wouldn't want my name to not be great. You think about the Walton family, Waltons, Walmart. The Waltons don't get up every day and try to prove themselves. They just Walton. (laughs) Nothing that they can do can change who they already are. You're not going to stop going to Walmart if something happens with one of them. You're still going to go there. They just wake up in Walton. That's already their name. They have nothing to prove. They did nothing to become Waltons. They just already are Waltons. If that's true for the Waltons, how much more true is it is for you that bear the name of Jesus, that you have his DNA, that you belong to him, that he calls you son, that he calls you daughter. All you have to do is live into who all you already are. You got nothing to prove. He tells them you will be a blessing, meaning that God doesn't provide for you. God doesn't promote you or give you anything for you to say, mine, mine, mine. God gives you stuff so that you can leverage it for the kingdom, so that you can love your neighbor. That's not just for good stuff. That's also for not so good stuff. That's even when we go through hard times. One of my professors says, even your suffering does not belong to you. Your suffering is for the good of somebody else. So if God provides you favor, remember first where the favor came from. But if God sends you into a trial, remember your trial is so that you can bless others when you come out of it. He says, I'll bless those that bless you. That means that people who do good to you, God, God in turn will some, in some way bless them. He says, I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt. This means that you don't have to get into a Twitter war. war. You don't have to be arguing, writing long paragraphs on Facebook. You're, you're not a politician. It's okay. You don't have to do a thesis on why you believe that this is what it is. Get off. You could have read like the whole book of like Ephesians by the time that you did this long post. You could have read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, but you could have got your degree in New Testament theology by the time you finished with this post. But you argue with people when you could be growing in your faith. Sorry. The last promise he says is that all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So here's what's important about this. This text is important because this is the foundation for world missions. This is why we do missions. This is exactly why we do missions because of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. This is why we do it. This is the foundation of why we go out into the nations. We are part of Abram's family, and so therefore we are to bless the nations. This is what it's all about. This is none other than the cultural mandate that happens in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, when he tells Adam, he tells him to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. This is the same thing. Go into the nations and do the same thing I told Adam to do. 
This is a call to do missions. This is where the Great Commission comes from. The Great Commission is just a continuation of Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Why would you say that? Because all of the sin and wickedness that happened in the first 11 chapters of Genesis are reversed when God, he begins a process of reversal in Genesis chapter 12. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They rebel against God, poison the stream for everybody else, and every human being made in the image of God is now a glorious but ruined image. And God calls Abram to start the process to restore humanity's broken relationship with God. He's to be the mediator of a new blessing to the people of God. This is why we care about every nation, every language, every tribe. This is why we're called to bless the nations in a way by telling them about God and that God wants to be reconciled to them through his son. We are instruments of God's grace. Now, let me tell you this. You may be struggling about leaving God because you think you might or or deciding to follow Jesus because you feel like I'm going to have to give up something something. Whatever you give up is not better than being God's instrument. Whatever you give up is not better than being enlisted in God's call to take the message of the gospel to the nations. You see, it's not just about taking the, the gospel to the nations. People are, oh, why do we care about ethnic diversity? Why do we, why do we care about this? Why, why do we care if our church is to be diverse? All right, enough already. Why do we care about this? Because the Bible tells us to care about it. This is what God cares about, so this is why we care about it. Oh, I just, I, yes, if it was just one group of people, I'd be cool with that. that you're not reading your Bible. You're not reading your Bible. God's plan is not just for us all people to be brought together, but we are to form one new man in him. Let's read something together. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. Here's what it says. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time. Galatians 3, verses 8 through 9 says this. What's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, what are you? You're Gentile, all right? Make Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said all nations will be blessed. This is what Paul is saying about what happened many years prior in Genesis 12. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. It t- Abraham, go to a land. Oh, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. The prob- that assumes that he has children. He doesn't. So h- how am I going to make a great nation when there's no one that comes from me? Because there's a promised seed that's coming. He's a long-awaited son. His name is Jesus. When you open up the first page of the New Testament in Matthew chapter 1, you know what the first, you, you skip over this part, right? It's like, I'm not reading all these names. I'm not reading all these names. I can't even pronounce half of these things. I'm not, I'm not reading these things. This is, this is pointless. They wasted a, pa- a page. We could have saved the planet with this one page of the Bible. The, if you look right now, the very first thing it says in Matthew 1 and 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Son of David, son of Abraham. He is the the fulfillment. 
He is the son, the promised son. He is the one who would redeem and reconcile the nations to God. This is why we care about building a church of ethnic diversity. This is why we care about this. John saw this in Revelation. John looked out. Here's what John says in Revelation 5 and 9. Here's what John says. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seal because you were slaughtered. And, And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. We care about the nations because God does. So God doesn't call us out of darkness to bring us into more darkness. God doesn't call us out of a life of satisfaction to a life of dissatisfaction. That's not what God does. God completely redeems what it means to live. God gives us a greater purpose than one that we can manufacture for ourselves. So if you're here today and you're, you're, you're not satisfied about your job, you're not satisfied about your lot in life, you're not satisfied about where you are, God has redeemed right where you are. He's repackaged it and repurposed it. So even your job is not about your job. Your boss is not even your boss. Don't say that tomorrow. But your boss is not your boss. That you go into your job, not as a job, but as a mission field. This is a part of loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. We bless the nations when we live the way in which God calls us to live and we tell the story that God tells us to tell. That God has come to save Seek and save that which is lost, that God has come to redeem all of fallen humanity and reconcile them to himself through his son, Jesus. This is our message, and this is a blessing. And so so we put all that together. These seven promises, and I'm almost done. These are beautiful promises, and this is what God presents before us all. So, So that's chapters one through three. There's one major problem. There's one major problem between three and four. Abram hears all of this but he's got to obey it to fulfill it. The life in Christ sounds good, but you still have to make a decision. And there's a couple problems with this call. Number one, he's an unbeliever. Number two, he worships something completely different. He's a 75-year-old man. He says the nations will be blessed. He doesn't have any descendants. Added to the fact that his wife is barren. He doesn't have a lot of information about the land that he's been called to. He's never been there before. And the land that he's called to has already got people in it. There's all kind of hurdles to him obeying God just like it is for you and I. But somehow it says Abraham went as the Lord had told him. He made a decision without having all the information to follow God. And let me say this to you. You may not have all the information about where God is taking you. You don't need all the information. You need God. And I just imagine all those circumstances. He and Sarah locked hands. And the DJ, because he took people with him. The DJ queued up. Bonnie and Clyde, 03, Daisy and Beyonce. All I need in this life of sin is me and my husband. That's what Sarah, that's what she said. That's what she said. I'm convinced. I'm convinced. 
Genesis 15, 6 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is what theologians call justification by faith. You, you are justified not by anything that you do, but by believing. He trusted what God has said. We are saved by this. We are saved by believing what God has already done for us. The Bible says that he believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. But truly believing what God says fleshes itself out in obedience. Faith is demonstrated by obedience, friends. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say. Faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. That is wrong. That is the right quote. Praise the Lord. And so this was not just a demonstration of faith. This was conversion. This was him being made new. He was an unbeliever. This is a life-changing act of faith. And I'd love to tell you that he soared. He obeyed. And whoo, that's the end of the story. He obeyed kind of. God told him to leave the country. Check. Leave your relatives. Nope. He's got his nephew with him. That's going to cause him all kinds of problems bringing, into, bringing something into God where God told you to go, but you don't leave it behind. There's all kinds of problems. He's going to have to go rescue him because he's in Sodom. He's stuck in there. Like, it's all kind of crazy stuff that happens with life. Eventually, you have, they have to just break up. Does he leave his father's house? Well, if we go back to Genesis 11, the end of 11, who's with him? His father. So he doesn't leave it. He leaves his father's house, but he brings his father with him. So Abram is called the father of our faith. He's held out as a hero of the faith. But Abram is one out of three. I guess one out of three ain't bad. <laughs> He's one out of three. Yet we see him struggling in his obedience to God. This is good news for us. He's struggling. People be encouraged. Even the father of our faith struggled to trust God. He did not obey God perfectly. One, one theologian says all we see is a gradual entanglement from country kindred and father's house he doesn't obey perfectly the first time but God sticks with him he struggles through his faith if we know anything about Genesis he holds on to chapter 15 he fell miser he fails miserably in chapter 16 read it for yourself he holds on to 17 18 fails miserably again in chapter 20 Abram's faith is up and down his walk with God is up and down he's consistent in one season wildly inconsistent in another season he loves Jesus some seasons doesn't love him in other seasons make great decisions sometimes make horrible decisions at other times but what I see in the text is that God stays the same through every failure and every setback aren't you glad that you have a God who does not pull back his promises every time you make a single mistake. Every time you make a mistake, God doesn't say, I'm going to keep this forgiveness today. No, God gives you the forgiveness. Every time you make a mistake, God still pours out his grace and his mercy on your life. Aren't you glad that God is faithful when we are unfaithful? The most scandalous thing and explicable thing in the text is not Abram's inconsistency, but God's constancy. You serve a faithful God, God never says, I'm taking it back. I'm reneging on the promises. He never says that. He never does. Last thing that we see in the text, and I'm done, 
is that verses 6 through 9 tells us that Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land, and God appears to him. And God says to Abram, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. He went another place, and he says he built an altar there to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Abram takes steps. God reveals more. Obedience brings clarity. Obedience is like windshield wipers when you're driving in a torrential downpour. It brings clarity. And God reaffirms his promise to him as he takes steps. Here's what you need to know, brothers and sisters. How can I be certain of God's promises that if I become a Christian or that I follow Jesus or that if I trust him with more of my life, how can I be reaffirmed in his promises? By looking back at the cross and the resurrection. Everything is bound up in the life of Christ. All the promises of Abraham, all the promises of God, finds its yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He is affirmation. He confirms with us his promises through the cross and through the resurrection. When Jesus got out of that grave, every answer to every promise was yes and amen. You can trust in the promises of God because of the resurrection, because of what already happened. And this is what happened with Abram. He eventually becomes Abraham. I I love this. Here's what happens. He's called Abram. His name means exalted father. God then changes his name to Abraham. Remember, he they don't have kids. His, his wife is barren. They, they, don't, they don't have a child. And he's old. And his wife is old. And his name is Father. And before the child even comes, God changes his name to Abraham. God doubles down on his promises. If you are doubting your name Abram, I'm going to call you Abraham. So not only is your name his Father, your name is Father of many nations now. So God doubles down even though Abraham can't see anything. God says, this is how sure I am of my promises to you, that I'll even change your name. Yeah, you'll be a mockery. People will call you Abraham and see that there are no kids. You'll say, yes, I'm a believer. Yes, yes, I follow Jesus, and they won't see any tangible physical material evidence. Where's all those blessings at? Where's, where, 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 where's all this? You look like you're a Christian, but doesn't look like you're doing too well to me. Every time I see you, you're struggling. Every time I see you, you're going through something. Every time I see you, it seems like you're suffering. What what, what is all that Christian life about? And you can doubt the promises of God. But faith is a substance, things hoped for, evidence, things not seen. You trust the promises of God because Christ got out of the grave. Forgiveness is yours, eternal life is yours, salvation is yours in Christ Jesus. And so today I just want to encourage you today that if it feels like, if you're an unbeliever, it feels like, I don't know if I can trust God with my life. 
you can trust him. You can trust him. He literally died for your sins, took on your sins, stood in your place. He was a substitute. He, he stood on the cross for you. That should have been you. But he takes on your punishment, takes on the wrath of God, stands in your place, sheds his blood, dies. But three days later, God raises him to life out of the grave. Confirming everything that he said was true, that he was truly the son of God. He overcame death. He overcame sin. He defeated all of that on the cross. And in him is forgiveness, salvation, eternal life. And what you have in him, no one could ever take away from you. And so today I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with FOBO, nothing is better than being in a relationship with Jesus. Nothing is better than being in a relationship with him. If you're struggling to just commit that other area of your life to God, maybe it's something that you prayed for that you hadn't seen yet. Maybe you, you like Abram and, and Sarah, kind of got out of the will of God in Genesis chapter 16, and they, they have a child with the maid servant instead of waiting on the promise of God. Maybe you've made some hasty decisions in your life and didn't trust God. Maybe you got into something and now you're like, I can't get myself out of this thing. There's hope for you. God doesn't take back his promises because you made a mistake. That's not to say that you go and make a bunch of mistakes because God doesn't take back his promises. It is to say because God loves me so much, he doesn't take back his promises. I want to please him. And so if you're here today, all eyes closed, heads bowed. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If it was a blessing to you, please consider visiting our website, outpouringorlando.com, to connect with us and to also give financial support. If you are ever in the Orlando area, we would love to serve and worship with you. Have a wonderful week.